I appreciate everyone's patience, especially those of you that are uh, watching online. Um, it's been one of those mornings where we just had one thing after another, technical diff- difficulties, things that worked Wednesday night during rehearsal, just decided that they were on vacation and weren't working today. So we've had to make a lot of adjustments, but I appreciate you staying with us. Um, again, if you saw the post I sent out right before we went live, um, Bradley's going to make another, he's recording another copy as well, and we'll put out a, a, a better, higher quality version either later today or it'll be sometime tomorrow, maybe sometime Wednesday, I don't know, it'll be sometime. But you'll get another opportunity to watch, and so that's the main thing, you'll get to watch twice, which is good. So uh, with that said, just Pray about that. Pray that we get the right equipment, the things that we need, because our guys are doing the best they can. They're doing an amazing job. So uh, just thank them when you see them. Uh, 2020, again, was a crazy year, as we know, and now we're um, moved into 2021. Hopefully it'll be a much calmer, a better year. Uh, may not start out that way because we're still in a lot of what we've been in, but uh, gradually over time, hopefully, Everything will begin to settle down and the dust will settle and things will get better. But as crazy as it was, even for us as a church, you know, God did some really cool things. I just want to give you a really quick update before we get into the service. Um, One is this fall, we were able to do two different food drives uh, for Southwest Elementary School where we literally took over truckloads two different truckloads full of food for their pantry. And let me tell you, they were so thankful. Uh, We were able to do a worship night outside that our team did, and it was awesome. We had around 75 people come and sit out in the parking lot and listen and worship and praise, and that was just tremendous. Uh, We were able to, uh, to, um, Thanksgiving time, uh, to help uh, at least 60 to 70 families uh, with food um, uh, through Louisville Elementary School. We were able to help some families within our church and without. And in November, we became a part of the Point Churches. And a part of them, uh, they were able to help 615 families over Thanksgiving, passed out 440 turkeys. And then as we moved into the Christmas season, uh, we were able to adopt a family from Southwest Elementary School and help them to have a Christmas they probably wouldn't have really been able to have. And it's all because of what you were able to do. We also were able to help a family within our own body, within our own church. Um, I think it was on Christmas Day, uh, wasn't it, Lucy? You can just nod if that's right. But I think it was Christmas Day, I got a text from the vice principal at Southwest Elementary School. He's my neighbor. He lives across the street, Justin. And he sent me pictures that that family sent him of their Christmas morning. And it was awesome. I mean, those kids were thrilled to death. Uh, uh, what they were able to, uh, to, to get at Christmas because they really didn't know if they would have a Christmas. So thank you, church. Thank you for all you're doing. Uh, through the point, through their care center for Christmas, I think they, if I remember right, they helped somewhere around 515 kids have a better Christmas. So uh, I say that for this reason. There may have been a lot of bad and ugly stuff that happened over the year in 2020, but God still is God. He's still in control, and he still did some pretty cool things, Uh, even in our midst. 
And so as we move into 2021, I know things are just going to get better and we're going to have more opportunities as we become uh, more um, integrated into the point system. Uh, it kind of sounds weird. sounds like we're gambling, but no, it's not the, that kind of a point system. But as we begin to move into the, being that point church that we are becoming, you'll see more and more changes take place. Um, and it's just going to be an exciting time for us as a church as well. So with that said, I want us to get started today because I, I got another really cool, awesome um, um, thing that happened just this week that is awesome. I mean, it's pretty cool. Uh, here, this is what it was. Um, I got an email this week from a Christian widow in Nigeria whose husband was a doctor and worked at an embassy. Now, and then this is awesome. You guys kind of just hang with me here because this is cool. He recently died and they have no kids. And so she wants to give several, get this, million dollars away to a Christian cause. And somehow she got our name. I don't know how. I mean, that's pretty amazing to think that our reputation as a church is worldwide, isn't it? That's pretty cool. And all I have to do is get a hold of her lawyer, and it may cost us several thousand up front, but that's really okay because we have an opportunity to get a couple million dollars out of this. That's really going to help us and set us up for what God wants us to do. How cool is that? Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Now, I can see it in some of your faces. You're thinking... Jerry, you're an idiot. Are you nuts? There are no dying widows looking to give you millions. Don't you know that you can't believe everything you read, right? You just can't believe everything you read. Now, all kidding aside, if we can't believe everything we read, then how do we determine what we should believe? Well, it comes down to this. We have to learn to judge truth from falsehood so that we can learn to know the difference between the things that matter and the things that don't. That's what today, that's why today we're beginning a journey through the book of Colossians. And we're calling this series, I know this is going to surprise you, we're calling this series Colossians very creative name, right? But that's what we're calling it. Now, the Bible is relevant no matter what, but Colossians is particularly relevant in the 21st century for several reasons, which we will see over these next several weeks. But, but let me get, just give you two as we begin. First is this, because we live in a world where absolute truth isn't a high priority. In fact, absolute truth has literally been just thrown out the window in a lot of places. And because of that, it has brought us into an age of pragmatism, meaning whatever works for me, guess what? It works. If it works for me, it works. You see, the question that used to be asked was this, what is truth? But in our postmodern world, it has been replaced with the question, what's going to work for me? Now, on paper, that sounds good to a lot of people. I mean, if you abandon the whole idea of there being any universal source of truth, if you let everyone make up their own reality, then whatever you believe becomes your truth. And whatever I believe becomes my truth. And whether or not it's true doesn't really matter as long as it makes me happy and it works for me. 
So if Mormonism works, great. If Jesus works, great. Then that's my truth. But here's the thing we forget. After decades of trying to live in that kind of a world, the only thing that it's done is this. It's made us more confused and it has caused us to live lives that are more chaotic. Why? Because it can't give us the answers we really need to live the kind of lives that God created us to live. And so people are still in search of something to just believe in. Something they can rely on. And what they don't understand is this. It's found right in the middle of God's word. It's found right in the middle of God's absolute truth. You see, the Bible isn't just any book. The Bible is the word of God. It is his absolute truth. And it has to begin to affect how we live our lives. And the book of Colossians, maybe more than any other book in the Bible, clears up that confusion. And I think we're going to see that over these next several weeks. So let's pray and then we'll, we'll dive in. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for all you do. Even in the midst of the chaos of this morning, even in the midst of technical difficulties, you are God and you're going to make this great God. And so I have no problem just trusting you with everything we're doing this morning because you're going to take it and multiply it because that's who you are, you're God. So just be with us right now, Father, and help us as we begin to dive into this book. It's in your name we pray, amen. Now, Paul is writing to the church at Colossae. It's during his first imprisonment in Rome, so it's sometime around 60 to 62 AD. And Colossae is in the middle of what is modern-day Turkey. Now, Paul did not plant the church in Colossae. He, he heard about it and was given those words from it by a guy by the name of Epaphras. Now, Epaphras was a native, we believe, of Colossae. And he evidently heard the gospel from one of Paul's ministries. Somewhere along the road, he was able to listen to and hear Paul teaching. And it changed his life. And so he went back to his hometown and he planted this church. Now, Epaphras has now traveled around a thousand miles to Rome because he needed to see Paul. And he needed to let Paul know what was happening within the church. Not only the good things, but the problems that were happening there. So Epaphras goes, he begins to lay everything out, the good and the bad. You see, these believers in Colossae were still, they were still trying to sort out exactly where Jesus kind of fit in to their worldview. I mean, after all, they had a lot of other options and a lot of other influences that were coming into their life based on their background and also based on their culture. And so they were dealing with this area of what is truth and what really is truth. And was Jesus really God's son? Now, theologian Douglas Moo writes, he said, whatever this heresy was, these are some of the markers of it. 
It was hollow and deceptive. It was a hollow and deceptive philosophy. It's dependent on human tradition, but not dependent on Christ. It involved dietary restriction. It involved the practice of Jewish holidays. It involved angelic beings and visions. It elevated modern philosophy over the apostles' teaching. It resulted in pride and resulted in the loosening of their connection with Christ. So this is what's going on in this church that Paul is now writing to. Now, one of the reasons why this is such a relevant book is because Paul could be addressing a lot of modern day churches as well. I mean, if you would take out the town of Colossae in his greeting and just put in churches in the U.S., it would fit with where we are today. Why? Because in our culture, Jesus has been reduced to just another good moral teacher. And if he's good for you, then great. But if he's not, then just find someone or something that you can believe in, something that'll work for you. I mean, that's where our culture is. And so as we think about the book of Colossians, the theme really revolves around this question. Is Jesus really enough? I mean, is he really all we need? Is he really the king? And Paul answers those questions thoroughly in this book that we're going to unpack. So let's get started in verse one. If you got your Bibles, I would encourage you to open them up. I would also encourage you to begin reading through the book. In fact, we want to encourage you for the next several weeks to read through the book. It's just, it's very short, not very many chapters. You can just read through it in a, in a setting and read through this several times during the week in preparation as we come together on Sundays. So let's begin in verse one. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. Paul starts out like he does in most of his writings with his name and then with his authority. In other words, He's not only a messenger of God, but he's an official representative of God. He's an apostle. And as he writes to these faithful believers, he uses his typical grace and peace greeting. And this is what's interesting about that. By bringing in the Greek word for grace together with the Jewish idea of peace tells them that now when they are together, when they are meeting together, it's no longer about being a Greek or about being a Jew, about being a Gentile. But now grace and peace are the two things that are distinctive markers for those who are Jesus followers. Those who have been set apart, as he said. He said they are holy. They are faithful believers. Verse three goes on. Follow along. We always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has re reserved for you in heaven. You have had this ex expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news 
This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. Now, this may sound, as you read this, this may sound a bit flattering, especially coming from someone like Paul. But don't miss who he's really thinking in these verses. He's not necessarily thanking the Colossians for their faith. That's not necessarily what he's doing. What he's doing is he's thanking God for their faith. Why? Was because faith is a gift from God. It's because everything that we have, everything that we are, comes from him. Now, the word for faith here means to be completely persuaded that something is true and to trust in it. To be completely persuaded that something is true and to trust in it. And for the, the people in Colossae, for this church, that happened when they heard the good news of the gospel. You see, their faith is not just a belief in something or some sort of intellectual journey that they had taken. And the same is true for us. When our faith begins with and comes from God, it becomes a faith that trusts in Jesus alone for our salvation. And that's why Paul's thanking God that they have. But look at what else Paul was thankful for. He was thankful for the love that the Colossians had for those who were in Jesus. Now, don't miss this. God's people are supposed to love God's people. You get that? God's people is supposed to love God's people. Sometimes we spend so much time saying we're supposed to love everyone out there, which we are, but we lose sight of the fact that we're also supposed to love everyone in here. We're supposed to love those who are already in Christ. And I'll be, really, I'll be quite honest with you. Maybe you found this to be true, but there are times when some of the hardest people to love are those within the body, those within the church. Sometimes other believers can be just as ugly, if not more ugly, than non-believers. And because of that, sometimes it, it creates this thing within us that we just don't want to be around them or we just don't want to love them. And yet, we have to understand God's people are supposed to love God's people. Paul is thanking them for the love that they have for all the saints. And then look at this. Their faith and love was strengthened and it grew as they kept their hope focused on the finish line. In other words, they kept their hope focused on eternal life with the Father. Which brings me to this question, that is this, what do you hope in? I mean, what do you hope in today? I mean, do you have the confident assurance that because of your faith and because Jesus is your Lord and Savior, that heaven is your home? I mean, do you have that confident assurance I can't tell you the number of people over the years that I've talked to who when I've asked that question, man, isn't it going to be great when we get to heaven? And they simply say, yeah, I hope it is. And they're not using hope in the same terms that we are using it here. They're just saying, I hope it is. 
In other words, they're still in that hope so stage. They're not really sure. They don't have that confident assurance yet in their life, even though they should have because of who they are in Christ. And so do you have that today? That confident assurance. Paul is thankful that this church in Colossae had that confident assurance of their hope and where it was in. It was in Christ and it was in heaven. And here's what we can't miss. Their faith, their hope, and their love took root when they first heard the absolute truth of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's when it began. That's when it took root within their heart is when they heard the truth of the gospel. That's why apart from the truth of God's word, you'll never be able to have real and lasting faith. You'll never be able to have true hope. You'll never be able to have that love for others that God has called us to have. You can't have that apart from the truth of the word of God. And so after Paul expresses his thankfulness, he then tells them, that he's been praying for them. Look at verse nine, let's start there. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. Now you need to understand something. Paul's never been to this church. He's never met these people. But just because he had never met them, just because he had never been there, did not keep him from praying for them. He continued to lift them up. He continued to pray for them. Let's go on. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with, with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. There's something I want you to understand before we move on, and that is this. Do you see what Paul's doing here in these first 14 verses of chapter one? Has he addressed any of the issues that they're having? No, not really, not yet. Why? Because Paul understood the importance of encouragement. He understood the importance of pouring into someone before you jumped on them, so to speak, or before you got to the real root of the problem Paul and most of almost all of his writings always spent that usually that first chapter just encouraging them, building them up, saying, "Hey, this, these are the things you're doing well. These these are the things God is really working on in your life." And then that allows him the freedom then to go into, "Hey, these are the things we need to work on now." 
And that's what we're going to begin to see. So chapter one here, and especially in these first 14 verses, Paul is encouraging him. And in this section, he's saying, hey, not only have I, am I thankful for you guys, but I am praying for you. I am praying for you. So what's Paul's prayer for them? Well, let me tell you, it wasn't, it wasn't for some generic, it wasn't some generic prayer asking God to just give him health and, and peace and happiness and joy. It wasn't that the church would just grow numerically. And so what did he pray for? Well, first of all, he prayed that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will through spiritual wisdom and understanding. Not earthly wisdom, but spiritual wisdom. You see, the one thing he asked for is that the Colossians might come to understand God's will for their life. Because he knows that if they begin to understand God's general will, that everything good that he desires for them will come from that and will follow. Now, I want to spend some time on this one for just a moment. This word that we read, give, where he said, we ask God to give you complete knowledge. In the NIV version, it, is, it uses the word filled, but both carry the idea of being controlled. You see, this same word is used multiple times in the Gospels, and it means to be controlled by. In the Gospels, we find it saying that the disciples were filled with sorrow, or that the crowd was filled with fear, or the Pharisees, Pharisees were filled with rage. As we come into the book of Acts, the disciples, it says, were filled with the Holy Spirit. In each of these cases, in each of these instances, they were controlled by what filled them. And that's important for us to understand. They were controlled by what filled them, which begs the question, what fills you? What fills you? What fills your life? You see, in Romans chapter 12, Paul reminds us that if we want to know God's will, you know what we got to do? We've got to be transformed. And we've got to be transformed by renewing our minds. So again, what are you putting in your brain? What are you putting in your heart? What knowledge are you seeking after? What wisdom are you seeking after? Because again, what fills you is what controls you. And a lot of times we can just look at a person's life and we can see what controls them, which tells me what they are filling their life with. If you want to be controlled by the Spirit, if you want to be controlled by God, himself and the presence of Jesus, then you have to fill your life with the knowledge of God and his wisdom. Now, here's something that I found interesting. I came across this this week. According to data found in one of the Barna research groups, uh, surveys and studies that they did, 60% of Americans can't name five of the 10 commandments. Can you? Five of the Ten Commandments. 82% of Americans think that the phrase, God helps those who helps themselves, is a Bible verse. How about you? 12% 12 of adults believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. That wasn't Noah's wife. 
And 50% of high school seniors thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. And get this, in this survey, those who were identified as born again Christians only did better by 1%. 1%. And why is this happening? Well, I believe it's because there are a lot of churches who have minimized the importance of learning the word of God. There are a lot of churches that have minimized the importance of absolute truth coming from God's word. There are a lot of churches who just want to have short, catchy sayings more than they want biblical truth. Now, I'm not sure why so many believers lack a desire to read and study God's word. Maybe some just don't see the incredible value that's found in biblical truth. Or maybe it's just because in our, in our world today, if we want to know something, all we, gotta, all we have to do is Google it, right? We just Google it. I want you to know that I'm not trying to make you feel guilty if you don't know much about God's word, but I do want this to be a challenge to all of us. After all, knowledge and wisdom and understanding of what God desires of us matters to God. And it also determines our growth. In fact, that's why Paul goes on to say that when we have that knowledge, when we are filled with the knowledge of God's will through Spiritual wisdom and understanding, guess what? It will cause us to live lives that always honor and please him. It will cause us to live lives that honor and please him. Now, while Paul's first request is for knowledge of God's will, he doesn't want them to have knowledge just for the sake of knowledge. You ever known anybody like that? I mean, I have. They just want knowledge for the sake of knowledge. They just, you know, it's... it's, it's like the, the, the person that all they do is study. They just sit in their lazy boy and read the Bible and study and study and study so that they can just become more right and more right and become more knowledgeable. But they never really do anything with that knowledge. I've shared this with you before. It's, my, it's one of my favorite illustrations. I had a guy, uh, a pastor at a conference said, he calls this spiritual constipation. He said, that's when you take in and you take in and you take in, but you never give out. And after a while, that really hurts, right? It's not just about knowledge. It's about taking that knowledge and then taking it out and making it a part of us and and honoring and pleasing God with the way we live. You see, he wants the Colossians to have knowledge and to understand the will of God so that the way they live will always honor their God. I mean, after all, like we said in the beginning, some were struggling with that, with separating their old lifestyles and beliefs from, for, from living for Jesus. And so Paul says, if, if you live in a way that honors and pleases Jesus, then it'll be shown by these things. And these are some of the things he mentions. First, it will produce good fruit in, in your life. It will produce good fruit in and through your life. The New Testament also, uh, often uses the imagery of bearing fruit as a sign of health and growth. 
Those who live lives that honor and please him are those whose lives are marked by the fruit of good works. Jesus said in John 15, 5, he says, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. Paul writes in Galatians 5, 22, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. And I love what Paul writes in in Ephesians chapter two, for he says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. To do the good things, the things that will produce fruit. And let me tell you, this is one of the many unique things about the gospel. You see, we are different from the world in that we don't want to do good things just for the sake of doing good things. Our ultimate goal is to do good things that produce fruit. And doing good is what pleases and glorifies God. I think that's the meaning of this psalm. It's Psalm 37, verse 4. Look what it says. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord. Now, that's not talking about getting a new car or winning the lottery. It's not what he's talking about. That if you just delight yourself in God, he's going to give you everything you want. That's not what he's talking about. When we delight ourselves in the Lord, his desires become our desires. And what pleases God begins to please us. And I think that's why Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, so whether we are here in in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. But it'll also, he says, you will grow in your ability to know God better. Not only will you produce good fruit, but you will will grow in your ability to know God better. Now, of everything we've talked about, please don't miss this. Knowing God is the most exciting thing that could ever happen to you. Do you get that? Knowing God is, is, is the most exciting thing that can ever happen to you. Because knowing God is the secret to happiness and joy and peace. Knowing God means that you are able to see and experience him everywhere, in nature, in people you meet, in trials, hardships, and the challenges of life. And get this, people who know God are never bored. (laughs) Seriously, people who really know God are never bored. Why? Because he fills us with possibilities that we could never have dreamed of on our own. And the best way to know God is to know his word. True story. I heard about a prominent psychiatrist who, he was talking about his life before he became a Christian. He said, I had all these honors. I had all this wealth. I had leaders from all over the country who were seeking me out so that I could give them advice. But he said, in spite of all that, My inner life just felt more and more hollow and empty. 
He says, things finally changed when I had to pull my six-year-old son's lifeless body out of our swimming pool. He said, that's when I turned to the truth of God's word. He said, as I read it, there came a moment when I sat with my head in my hands and just said, my God, what a bud I've been. He said, my wisdom led me to nothing worthwhile. Now, he said, I'm finally seeing what God says about living life in and through his word. And let me tell you, that's what we need to discover, right? We need to discover what God thinks about life. We need to discover what God says about how we are to live our life, the life that he has created us to live. And we're not going to find that online. We're not going to find that in some book in a bookstore. We're not going to find that on the most popular TV show. We're only going to find it through his word, which is absolute truth. But then Paul says, you will realize that the strength to endure life can only come from God. The word endurance that he used in this passage could best be translated stick to itiveness. Because people who have this quality don't quit. They hang in there. Despite the circumstances of life, despite whatever is going on, they hang in there. The second word translated here for patience is really long-suffering. It's a willingness to wait and not pay back. It has to do with a willingness to forgive and a refusal to take revenge. And let me tell you, we can never do that on our own strength. That kind of strength can only come from God through his Holy Spirit. It is only through his power that we have the endurance and the patience to carry on and to live life. And then he says, you will find lasting joy through giving thanks for what God has done for you. Through giving thanks for what God has done for you. Paul started out thanking God for them and what God was doing in and through them. But now he puts the ball back in their court and he puts it in our court as well. And he lets them know that Joy, true joy is found through giving thanks to the Father. It's giving thanks to the Father. After all, there is a lot to be thankful for. And Paul mentions just three things right here that they could be thankful for and that we need to be thankful for as well. The first was this. We have, to, we have been enabled by God to share in the inheritance of his people. How awesome is that? God says, I've enabled you. I've given you everything you need to, so that you can share in my inheritance. And what is some of that inheritance that we can be thankful for and that we can share in even right now? It's this, we have a father's love. We have a savior who paid a debt that we could never pay. We have the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives that empowers us to live the kind of lives he's called us to live. We have a family of brothers and sisters to support us, to encourage us. And we have an eternal home 
waiting for us in heaven. These are a part of the inheritance that get this, we don't deserve, but we've been given. Secondly, we've been rescued from the kingdom of darkness and we've been brought into the kingdom of light. Paul just says, you need to be thankful for that. Thankful that God has rescued you because you were living in darkness. And when you surrendered your life to Jesus, he brought you out of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of light. And then lastly, he says, we've been redeemed and forgiven. We've been redeemed and forgiven. You see, in the kingdom of darkness, we are unworthy and unwanted. But because of the love of God, he has redeemed us. In other words, he has bought us back and he has set us free and he has made us both wanted and he has made us worthy and he has forgiven us. What an incredible blessing to be thankful for today. You and I have an inheritance. You and I have been taken out of out of the darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. You and I have been bought back and it was a high price that was paid because it cost the life of God's son. And because of that, we have forgiveness of sin. Let me give you some next steps and then we'll close. The first is this. If you really want to put this into practice today, what we've, the things, some of the things that we've just talked about, then here's what I want you to do. I want you to stop looking for truth in all the wrong places. Stop looking for truth. Stop looking for knowledge. Stop looking for wisdom in all the wrong places. Stop looking for it the way the world does and turn to God's word for your source of truth. Because when you do, you will discover life. Second of all, allow that truth to take root in your heart so that you will begin to display the fruit of the Spirit in and through your life so that you will begin to live lives that honor and please God so that you'll begin to know God more intimately and you'll begin to love others with the love of Jesus. Now that's Paul's prayer for the church at Colossae. That was Paul's prayer for these Colossian Christians. And I want you to know that's my prayer for us today is that we may know God and we may know him more intimately. And we may seek his truth and put the world behind us, put it back in the darkness and start living in the light. So I don't know where you're at today. But if you're watching online and you just really need to talk with somebody, hit that connect link. Because I would love to connect with you.
If you're here today and you need something, in just a moment, I'm going to be sitting over here and I'd love to talk with you. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much for all you do. I mean, you're just such a great and awesome God. Thank you for loving us, for pouring into us. Thank you for giving us the ability to know you more. It's in your name we pray. Amen. If our worship team will make their way up, we just want to move into a time of the Lord's Supper. It's just an opportunity we have. If you're at home, I, I pray that you will gather your emblems if you haven't already. You can either do this with us here or if, if you want, I, I've sent out uh, the communion meditation. If you want to just, after the service is done, spend time at home. But for us here, we just want to move into that time to remember what our God has done for us. Pray with me. Lord, thank you that we could come before you today. Thank you that we could spend a moment reflecting on the price that was paid to set us free, to redeem us so that we might have forgiveness of sin so that we may have that inheritance, so that we might have, Father, the love that you give. We just thank you, God, for loving us that much. Now be with us right now, Father, as we just celebrate what you have done through your death on the cross and your resurrection from the dead. It's in your name we pray. Amen.